Our preacher tonight is our good friend Nick Lee. Reverend Nick Lee, you know him. Reverend Nick Lee uh, is the former pastor of the Christ Experience United Methodist Churches. Wife is Laura. They have four children together, Caden, Riley, Tyson, and Braxton. Currently, uh, Nick, uh, besides being a super busy dad, um, is the CEO of a nonprofit uh, here locally called the Uncommon Collective, which helps under-resourced women start and run their own businesses. He has been a friend since our very first days of this congregation. Um, and uh, he doesn't want me to say this, but I think you all know it. Uh, Nick's real gift is the gift of preaching. And so as we uh, gather tonight, um, I want you to welcome and uh, be very hospitable and uh, greet our friend Nick as he preaches and I up the temperature just a little bit, all right? So everybody, please welcome our good friend Nick Lee. Uh, I'd appreciate if you invite me to come back again after this, and you might want to wait till after I get done to decide uh, that you not make me follow Tara Fritch again, because that was crazy good. <laughs> Lord have mercy. Uh, will you stand on your feet with me this evening as we read the scripture? I'm going to be reading from Hebrews 11. Uh, you don't need to read it if you don't want to. You can if you want to. It's a free country. Um, Hebrews 11, I'm going to start in verse 33, and it says this. By faith, these people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, and received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions, quenched the flames of fire, and escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned to strength. They became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight. Women received their loved ones back again from death, but others were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. They placed their hope in a better life after resurrection. Some were jeered at, and their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prisons. Some died by stoning. Some were sawed in half, and others were killed with the sword. Some went about wearing skins of sheep and goats, destitute and oppressed, Mistreated, they were too good for this world, wandering over deserts and mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. All these people earned a good reputation because of their faith, yet none of them received all that God had promised, for God had something better in mind for us, so that they would not reach perfection without us. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor besides God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from the sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. This is the word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. The last time I preached here, it was in March, and I'll tell you how I remember I did not silence my iPad, and in the middle of my sermon, Duke lost by one point, and I almost cursed in church. So, 
There are no games that I care about going on at the moment, so we should be good. Um, I, I wanted to take a moment this evening um, and tell you a couple of things before I jump in. First, I count it a real honor and privilege to be with you tonight. Um, I love and appreciate the people who are the 8th Street Church. Um, it has a really special place in my heart and in the hearts of um, my family and friends, and so I'm thankful uh, for all of you. You have some pretty amazing pastors, a pastoral staff that I regard uh, with a lot of love and respect. I think of Hope and Andrea and Banning and Christian and all of the other ones, the interns, everyone that makes up uh, this family, but in particular, Chris and Mikhail, uh, who are not only two of my best friends, but they are my pastors. Um, I don't know if you know this or not yet, uh, but they are amazing, and I'm thankful for them because in seasons of transition and making new changes in life, they have been willing to listen to me complain. They've been willing to listen to me go on and on about stuff that I probably should just keep my mouth shut about. They have let me be aggravating and some ways ignorant, and they've still loved me the whole way. And so I just wanted you to hear that. Pastors have a uniquely difficult job, and it is important that we remember um, and recount all of the ways that they have loved us. And so I wanted to do that here tonight. So thank you both. It's been almost exactly a year since I preached um, inside of the Saints uh, sermon series. Actually, on the 17th of this month, uh, we... I've been struggling how to say this. Celebrate's not the word. So we, me and my family, uh, my father passed away 10 years ago, November 17th, and I preached about him um, nine years at the nine-year anniversary. Uh, I am thankful he is not suffering. However, I'm a little jealous that he's not here. And so this is not the first time I'll speak about a saint, and tonight, in part, I'll be speaking about Harriet Tubman as one of our saints but I wanted to kind of give you my definition of sainthood. Um, it's an expanded definition from what I think Chris has been using. Um, Webster's defines it in a pretty Catholic way. It talks about the officially recognized uh, folks through canonization as preeminent for their holiness. Um, it also then defines it as when capitalized, it means a member of any Christian body, which I think goes along with what Chris has said in the past few weeks. But I want you to keep that in mind because the reason why we say it is those of us in the body of Christ is so that you see yourself as saints as well. But I, I want to expand it a bit because I think it's important that we not only see ourselves as saints, but we think of ways to live up underneath what it really means to be saints, right? Because I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm a little lazy. And so if you tell me I'm a saint today, I quit. I'm good. <laughs> Ain't no more, more growth. We're just going to stay in our lane. But I think it's important that we give ourselves something to lean into and to live into. So I want to add and expand the definition and add some characteristics Listen, when I think of the saints, I think of those who have lived faithfully and worked towards being fully human and connected to their God. I think of those who have faced great adversity, those who have faced violence and responded with courage. 
instead of retaliating. They found ways to respond in grace. Strength is their calling card. They are covered in humility and wrapped in peace. I see saints of those who have gone before us and those who are still among us. So, Harriet Tubman, born as Ermanita Ross, her birth date is still a mystery, although some will say it's 1822, some will say 1825, others 1815. You get the picture. As with most folks born into slavery, their birthdays were not recorded and their lives were not celebrated. She was property, born into systematic and legal oppression for the benefit of her owners. She was beaten and whipped as a young child. Violence was committed against her body before she even understood what violence meant. She suffered a traumatic brain injury early on in life because one of her overseers got mad at another slave and threw a a two-pound weight at that slave and missed and hit her in the side of the head, causing seizures and hypersomnia and strange visions. She actually said that these visions, even though they were brought about by a weight against her head, she thought they were from God himself. She saw them as premonitions. She believed that God was speaking to her even through an injury. So Harriet Tubman then escapes. She actually escapes from slavery twice, we're told. The first time, she grabs her brothers, and they take off. And as soon as they get out of slavery, the two brothers have second thoughts. Let that sink in for just a second. It's said that possibly they had children who were still enslaved. Uh, Maybe they had a reason to go back. But all three of them went back into slavery, and then Harriet escaped a second time. It was complicated. You see, Harriet was married. She was married to a free man. So even her marriage was complicated because, you see, violence against her body didn't stop when she was a young child. Actually, violence continued on through her whole life. Having a free husband didn't mean that your kids were free. You see, since the slave owner owned her, he owned every part of her, including her offspring. So any baby she had legally was rightfully the possession of her masters. Now imagine that kind of violence committed against you mentally and emotionally. Can you even imagine for that moment that a child was born with all the excitement in life and then realizing that he or she could be taken from you immediately and sold to another person because it was not a human, it was property. When she finally left the second time, after suffering violence, being pushed to the sides, she made the most incredible move, I think. And in reality and in thinking about myself, I don't know if I would have done it the same way. She finds freedom, or as free as you can be when you're a runaway slave after the Fugitive Slave Act. And she decided on purpose, of her own volition, her choice was to return into the very places that had once held her captive so that she could free others. Violence and hate had been committed against her since her birth, and yet she decided to return so that others could be free, all the while knowing that her act, 
could cause her freedom to be taken away. After her time freeing other slaves, she joined the Union Army, leading scouts against the South. She then was the first woman to lead an offensive in the war. The government did not recognize her. They did not pay her. Violence against her humanity once again. And all the while, even after this, she continued to work to free slaves, to free the minds of the oppressors because it is an important job as well. She was impoverished because no one recognized her work and yet she gave tirelessly so that others in her community could have more. This is the way I see a representation of sainthood. Being, having violence committed against your body and yet you still have the foresight to find grace in the moment. Being told you aren't human, but yet having humanity that no one can take from you. That's sainthood. Frederick Douglass spoke of her this way. He said, the difference between us is very marked. Most that I have done and suffered in service of our cause has been in public, and I've received much encouragement at every step of the way. You, on the other hand, have labored in a private way. I have wrote in the day, you in the night, the midnight sky and the silent stars have been the witness of your devotion to freedom and of your heroism. I know of no one who has willingly encountered more perils and hardships to serve our enslaved people than you have. She said this in response to the questions about why she did what she did. She said, I had reasoned this out in my mind. There was one of two things I had a right to, liberty or death. If I could not have one, I would have the other. Harriet Tubman, to me, is a saint upon whose shoulders we stand today. The reason I believe it's important to remember and speak about the saints as often as we can is so that they can teach us through their lives and their strength. Their stories give us something to live up underneath. It reminds me of that parachute in elementary PE where your friends would stand around the circle and they'd flap it up and down. And one lucky kid at the right time got to run underneath and come up underneath this parachute. She has been flapping the parachute for us so that we too could run up underneath and live into what it means to be a saint. But I, I think that the, the definition of saint isn't limited to those who have gone before us. Although we stand on their shoulders and we see them for who they are, I actually think there are saints sitting among us today who meet the definition I've spoken of, who have seen violence, who have seen aggression and yet held their strength and have not retaliated but responded to God's grace. There are people who sit among us today who stand with courage and grace. I believe that there are saints sitting with us and their lives demand a response from us. See, today I'm here in large part as the person you see before you because I have been befriended by and mothered by saints. I've been able to grow up and to come of age around some incredibly intelligent and brilliant women 
I am who I am today because of them. And, and I want to admit to you that I am not an expert on women. You can ask my wife. And she will tell you. <clears throat> and actually, I don't think that the women in the room or outside of these doors need me to speak for them. They are capable themselves. But I do think, as their partner, it is my job to speak alongside of them. Those saints among us, they have suffered the violence aimed at their bodies. Today on NPR, I heard that one in four women will suffer domestic violence in their lifetime. The other numbers would blow your mind. They have been emotionally and mentally subjugated and subjected. They have been denied what is rightfully theirs based on their merit, but because of their gender, they have not received it. Yet they stand as beacons of hope and grace and beauty. I believe when Dr. King said this, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. We are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all of us, even affects all indirectly. This is from the letters from the Birmingham jail. So I I use my voice today to stand in solidarity with these amazing women who have shaped me. These saints that have persevered and still pursue what God has created them to be. You see, I think that the saints that we need to acknowledge sitting in this room are the very women who we call friends and wives, sisters, these humans that sit next to us who share the space and yet often don't get to share in the reward of life. I've actually been shaped by these stories. One of the transitions is moving out of ministry and into being the CEO of the Uncommon Collective. And I'm shaped by the stories of a friend of mine who graduated from Fuller and went back to church in Oklahoma and was not allowed to have the title pastor. She was director or administrator or secretary of missions, even though she was the one running the department. She begged two of her supervisors for a meeting for three months, and they would not meet with her. They needed to find at least another person to be witness as they met together. And as she is writing on the whiteboard, explaining the mission strategy for the entire church, the door opens and traps her behind it between the door and the wall. And the senior pastor emerges and says, gentlemen, would you like to go to lunch? And the, and the men in the room said, yes. And they stood up, they walked out of the room, and she was pinned behind the door. I'm shaped by those stories. I, I've been thinking, um, Mikhail has been a, a big witness in my life. And, and when she talks about Matthew 25, the story of the talents. I've always seen it one way, right, where you talk about talents as in if you don't use your talents, you lose them. Until she said to me, Nick, it's actually a story about scarcity. See, one with his hands clenched or putting his in the dirt was afraid that if he let it go, there wouldn't be enough to come back. So we live in a world where scarcity is ruining us. Men afraid that if power is shared equally, there won't be enough power for them. It's destroying our communities. It's wrecking our climate. It's stripping us of our very humanity. You see, scarcity implores us to build barriers. 
So we create glass ceilings. We put up walls. We keep our friends and neighbors and relatives segregated as much as we can so that we can keep in control all the power. We commit violence. When the obstacles aren't enough, we lash out violently against them so that we can keep them away from the power. Dr. King said it this way. He said he talked about moving from chaos to community. I actually think we've got to move from fear to equity in response to the saints that sit around us today. We've got to tear down on purpose the obstacles put up. We've got to redefine the roles. We've got to make it so that the women in our lives don't feel the negativity from making a choice. If they decide to stay home and be mothers at home, great. But the truth is, in order for there to be equity, the same has to be true for us men in the room too. The day when men are, have the choice to also say, if I want to stay home, I'm going to stay home. That's important as well. You see, the World Bank defines empowerment as the process of increasing the capacity of individuals or groups to make choices and to transform those choices into desired actions and outcomes. That is what it means to be empowered. A couple of weeks ago, I, I got the opportunity to speak at Southwestern Christian, and underneath my name was the words female empowerment, which is super weird when you get up to stand. And I was like, just so you guys are clear, I'm going to talk. But, but I think, but I think that as we lift the parachute, the response that we must make is the response that moves us to empowerment, yes, and also equity, yes, because the lives of our saints that are sitting with us demand that response from us as a whole. Barack Obama said, when women succeed, nations are more safe, secure, and they are more uh, prosperous. Kofi Annan said, there is no tool for development more effective than that of the empowerment of women. And yet we still sit in a place where it is not always the way it is. Scarcity is the lie. It is what's keeping our saints from seeing full equity. When power is equal among us, we are exponentially better. Sheryl Sandberg says it this way, a truly equal world would be one where women ran half of the countries and companies and men ran half of our homes. I believe that this world would be a better world. The laws of economics, many studies of diversity tell us that if we tapped the entire pool of human resources and talents, our collective performance would improve. Empowerment and equity move us all to a better place. So tonight, I felt like it would be important for me to also name some saints outside of Harriet Tubman because she is a saint that's gone before us, but there are some among us and some that affect us even today. I was a big baby when I was born, so I have to put my mom first on the list. (laughs) I watched my mother as a kid go off to work get up at 2 a.m. with my father and throw papers. I watched her study at midnight and later to become a nurse. I watched her strength 
She's the first woman that taught me that strength is not about how loud you are. Because often the loudest ones aren't the strongest ones. My wife, who has moved with me over and over again, has followed me as I have made transitions in my own life and carried all four of our linebackers and still today chooses to deal with me sometimes. I watched my friend Reverend O'Neill, Shiloh O'Neill, move to Duke Divinity, put herself through school for three years, caring for her two kids, dealing with all sorts of violence emotionally and mentally from the outside world, only to come back to a state that although in the Methodist Church we believe in women in the pulpit, there are still people who sit in our seats who believe that she has no place to speak. My friend, Mikhail Levine, who walked into my church years and years ago in response to seeing hatred and violence perpetrated against men of color like me, eight months pregnant, standing as a representative of what sainthood looks like. And because of her, I get the chance to be here today. I didn't ask her if I could talk about her or not, but I'm going to. Liliana Reza, who was a friend of mine, who happens to be here this evening, I have watched her be gracious to me. We were in Dallas a couple of weeks ago, and she knew that in transition as a pastor, there is pain and there's anguish, there's regret. And in the midst of her own transitions and changes, she has offered me friendship and grace And every once in a while, I'll get a message that says, I'm praying for you this morning. I've watched her struggle, even knowing that we see her as pastor. Some don't. And yet, the reality is, we should. She stands strong and gracious in the midst of adversity and hatred. She is one of my saints. So in light of these saints and their stories, I think that we collectively have to work for empowerment of women. That is the only response. That is not just a a, a novel concept or a good way to make a paycheck. No, it is the response demanded by the stories of the saints, both past and sitting in these seats tonight. I just want to talk to the guys for just a second. Ladies, you can listen if you want to, or check out. It's fine. I've been struggling with this concept. I think that the only way that we get to equity and empowerment is when we make the decision to give up ill-gotten power. I've been thinking about the story of Zacchaeus, and as soon as he sees the master, he suddenly says, Lord, Lord, here I am. Here and now, I'll give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay it back four times the amount. Did you catch that last part? If I've cheated anybody, let me expand it. If I've created obstacles, if I've created educational systems that don't value the work of women, and I got somewhere because of it, I'll give it back, and I'll give it back four times over. If I created financial structures that have kept women from getting loans at banks when they walk in, having everything prepared, and yet someone says to them, no, if I got power through ill-gotten ways, I'll give it back, and I'll give it back four times. If I've allowed there to be violence 
mentally and physically abuse. If I've received power because of it and it is ill-gotten, I'll give it back. And I'll give it back four times the amount. I think it's important for us men to see the saints who are sitting next to us and to then respond in kind by saying, all the power that I've gotten because of institutional oppression, all the power that I've received because I was born this guy, I refuse to keep holding it. I'll work so that there is equity amongst us. Where there is the ability to choose, to choose to work outside of the home, to choose not to, to choose to follow the call of God and stand in the pulpit and preach the word or not. But we have to work so that empowerment shows up in the lives of these saints who are with us. It is a response that is demanded of us. I think of the saints who have gone before us and I think of Maya Angelou who wrote these words. You may write me down in history with your bitter, twisted lies. You may trod me in the very dirt, but still like dust, I'll rise. Does my sassiness upset you? Why are you beset by gloom? Because I walk like I've got oil wells pumping in my living room. Just like moons and like suns with the certainty of tides, just like hope springing high, still I rise. Did you want to see me broken, bowed bowed head and lowered eyes, shoulders falling down like teardrops weakened by my soulful cries? Does my haughtiness offend you? Don't you take it awful hard because I laugh like I've got gold mines digging in my own backyard? You may shoot me with your words. You may cut me with your eyes. You may kill me with your hatefulness, but still like air, I rise. Does my sexiness upset you? Does it come as a surprise that I dance like I've got diamonds at the meeting of my thighs? Out of huts of history's shame, I rise up from a past that's rooted in pain. I rise. I'm a black ocean leaping and wide, welling and swelling. I bear in the tide, leaving behind nights of terror and fear. I rise into a daybreak that's wondrously clear. I rise bringing the gifts that my ancestors gave. I dream and the hope of the slave, I rise, I rise, I rise. It is that ability to rise that in my opinion elevates the women who are sitting in this room to the epitome of sainthood for me. And, and I can only hope that as they have lifted the parachute over and over again and I get to come up underneath it and live a certain way that their lives represented in this place will remind me to live the way they have. When violence is committed against me, I won't retaliate, I'll respond in grace. When hateful words are said in my direction, I won't turn my tongue back into a sword. I'll speak with wisdom. And I'll speak with grace. When I have the chance to work for equity and empowerment, I will respond to the way the saints around me have lived, and I will do so 
as often as I possibly can. So my hope is tonight that in hearing the words of the saints from Tara to me, that you would choose this week to respond to God's grace and the representation of the saints by doing like they do, responding in strength, grace, and humility. Let's pray. God, tonight we sit um, at the feet of saints who have gone before us and we sit in the presence of saints that are still with us. And all I can think about is how I will respond to the grace and mercy you've shown me through them. God, may we together endeavor to work not to replace but to create space where there is equal room for all of us to exist together. God, may we respond to the gospel truth by letting it flow out of our lives, by what we do and how we treat those who are with us even today. I pray for the women in this room who have heard these words. Some who are thinking of the violence committed against them. Some who are remembering the times where they have been pushed to the side, ostracized, belittled, where they've been denied what's rightfully theirs because of their gender. God, I pray that tonight you would bring healing or at least start the process. And God, I pray for us together that we would respond by working as one body with you at the head, working to see equity amongst us all. No matter what your gender or your race, sexuality, that we would find ourselves in an equitable world led by the kingdom of God here and now. God, we pray that when we see injustice, we would have the courage to fight against it. That we would stand, yes, on the shoulders of those who have gone before us, but would stand shoulder to shoulder with those who are still with us today. God, hear our prayer and our cry be with us this evening. In Christ's name we pray and the church said, Amen. Amen.